Welcome to the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. I'm BHE Senior Editor Tom Valentino. We hope you are safely enjoying this holiday season. Today we have an interesting guest, Ali Beheshti, founder and CEO of the behavioral health billing solutions firm Zeely. Ali, welcome to the BHE Podcast. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Uh, very good job with the pronunciation of the last name there on your first try. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I do my homework. I try my best here. <laughs> um, your story is interesting to me because uh, prior to launching Zeely, you were the CEO of a behavioral health treatment center. What led you to your decision to move out of that role and launch a billing solutions company? Sure. Well, good question. Um, yeah, up until about four years ago, I was the CEO of a behavioral health center, and um, I got into this sector by happenstance. My my sister happens to be a, a physician. She's a psychiatrist, and she was the medical director of a few behavioral health centers, and um, she asked for my help. Uh, I, I have a law degree, so I have a legal background in helping her establish her own company to do uh, primarily focused on uh, mental health care. Uh, people with substance use disorder who have mental health conditions, so co-occurring disorders. And I ended up, you know, helping her out and starting that company and kind of fell in love with it um, because you get to help people uh, and, and make a living. So what's better than that? So I ended up partnering with her in that company. And uh, early on, I realized it's a very young sector, very fragmented, um, not huge players taking up a significant portion of the market share. And when it came to the billing and revenue cycle management side, it was the same thing. And so we we had hired a few companies, and you know, with with my background, I, I was kind of explaining you know CMS guidelines, payer <laughs> rules, and and things to them. Uh, so I realized that, you know, if I'm having to teach them how to bill in this sector, that that's not a good sign. So, right. One of one of the other things we noticed is some of the tools they were using weren't really designed for this space. They were using tools designed for other healthcare sectors. And, and so I realized that a platform had to be developed to suit our needs. And, and so approximately four years ago, as much as I loved running that company with my sister, um, I realized there was an opportunity to, to start a company where I could really kind of educate and help people um, understand revenue cycle management because there's there's a number of components to billing for this that are completely different than the rest of the sector. So very unique space um, and, and one that I'm sure we'll discuss later is changing rapidly. And, sure. and that's exciting to me. Yeah. So your, your background, uh, having worked on the other side of this equation, um, mm -hmm. has that really you know, guided you in terms of how you wanted to build this organization and how you wanted to function? Was it kind of designed to solve a lot of the challenges you were facing on the other side? Exactly. I mean, that that was the crux of the whole thing. It was, um, I felt like as a as a CEO of the, that company, I needed certain tools, predictive analytics, um, more transparency, a better understanding of these rules, a rules engine to understand um, pay, payer guidelines. And so none of these things were available, whether through information directly from the biller or from a platform that could easily um, give that information to me. So originally, um, I brought on software developers to start building it. Uh, we're, we're not a SaaS company, we're a technology enabled services company. So we do do the actual billing itself. 
but we also build the software from scratch as well. So it's both. Um, and and I, you're right. I built it for me. To be honest with you, I built it for an owner, right? Uh, for the other side. And I think that's what's given us um, su such success because I, I know what the other side wants because I was on the other side up until just four years ago. So, and, and we still, to this day, we, we get feedback from, from the owners. What do you want? What do you wish you could? And we build around the user. Um, yeah, that's, that, that was actually going to be my next question. What are some of the biggest pain points that clients are seeking you out for now? What what are they asking you for? So I, I could tell you, it, it, number one is transparency and, and then predictive analytics, because a lot of what happens is a lot of these providers, as I mentioned, it's a fragmented sector. Um, they'll have some in-network contracts, but the, they have no... Um, you know, it's with one or two payers here and there, and then they have numerous out-of-network situations. And when you're an out-of-network provider, <clears throat> um, there's a vast variation um, from policy to policy, what your reimbursement rates are gonna be, and not knowing that prior to admission, so you can tell the patient, you know, this is this is what's gonna be your responsibility, this is uh, how much your insurance is likely gonna pay us, is, is one of the biggest pain points. So we frequently, we had to create an entire, data engine around it's called smart vob where we during the verification of benefits process we've ascertained what data points are predictive in nature when it comes to out of network uh, reimbursement rates and then it calls our database and it says historically speaking when this payer has said these things what has the policy on in aggregate to all of our clients paid for these services so so really what they want to know is prior to admission oftentimes what will I get paid for my services? So I can let the patient know what their portion is going to be. And to me, it's kind of crazy that that didn't exist before that I had to kind of hire software developers and build an entire platform from scratch just for that one component of the process. So, so that's one thing we always get. And then similar, same thing with authorizations. Um, how am I doing with my authorizations for different levels of care? Um, and, and then our clinical team often works with them. You're not doing well. You need to be doing these things. This would be, you know, and, and the good part about that is seeing data from so many different providers. You see what works for other providers. So you can use suggestions you learn um, like, well, this other provider does it this way and they have this type of clinical staff and, and it's really working out well for them. I recommend doing the same thing. So definitely the, what we get asked a lot about is data analytics uh, and how can I get, how can you help me make my business more compliant so I can get more authorizations for the care we believe these patients deserve? Uh, and it's very important to them. Kind of a blanket question I've talked to, or I've asked everybody I've talked to uh, this year is COVID-19. How has this affected the work you're doing? And um, have, have your operations been impacted uh, by the pandemic this year? And, and what kind of adjustments have you had to make along the way? So uh, Zeely's operations, yes, they were affected. Um, but I'll even get into the clients because that, that's probably what your listeners are more interested in. in uh, on our side, uh, we were already um, half our team uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. We were about 50 employees and half our team was already remote. Uh, the verification of benefits and, and utilization review departments uh, were remote. Many worked on different time schedules because some of our providers are on the East Coast, some are on the West Coast, and some of, most of the payers are on East Coast time. So a lot of them work on East Coast time. And then billing and collections was actually in our building, um, which I'm at, at the moment sitting in by myself. It's 5,000 square feet. I've been in it by myself for the last uh, nine months now. Um, 
So I'm the CEO and the guy who gets the mail uh, <laughs> at this point. So yeah, for, from an operational standpoint, uh, originally sending the entire staff remote was a bit of a technical challenge from an IT perspective. However, um, we've noticed efficiency because we've created so many efficiency standards where we can track people's work while they're at home. It's actually ended up becoming good for us. And we, we don't plan on um, bringing anyone back. I mean, some staff, some staff would, would be more efficient, but majority of our staff will stay remote, which has allowed us to actually um, kind of get from a larger talent pool, which has been great. We've been able to hire people all over the country, um, which has been fantastic. We've actually grown since COVID. So we're 60 employees right now, all of which are remote. Um, and so, and it's going great. So we, we think we're going to continue from the provider side. However, I could tell you that early on, there was definitely, they took a hit uh, in COVID because people were concerned about entering in. A lot of our treatment centers are a detoxification or um, residential treatment centers. So that those took a hit, obviously, because people were concerned about entering into treatment in those confined spaces. However, um, the the payers opened up some rules regarding telemedicine. Um, and so they kind of, a lot of them shifted their models a bit. They still had the inpatient, but um, a lot of their lower levels of care, they started doing via, via telemedicine, which um, has actually expanded. Uh, our, our clients are actually now, so they took an early hit, um, but they're actually doing better now uh, because they've been able to adjust um, to the new reality. They've had, a lot of them have had to retrofit their facilities um, to not so many shared bathrooms, not shared rooms, certain and certain things like that and quarantining and in that regard. But I could tell you, if anything, now they're more uh, successful than ever. And obviously COVID-19 has exacerbated mental health and substance use disorder conditions. So the demand has significantly increased, obviously, which is not a good thing. It's a bad thing for society, but from a business perspective, um, that has helped their businesses. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, quite a few of the provider organizations that we've talked with this year, uh, you know, they've been very creative in the solutions uh, that they've had to implement to uh, shift a lot of their uh, operations online, exactly like what you're saying. And, and telehealth has been like the word of the year, it feels like, and uh, yes. it's it's everywhere. Um, is it uh, challenging from a, a billing perspective? Is there an added layer of complexity in uh, trying to get everything uh, aligned properly uh, on that end of things? And, and how are you helping your clients there? Yeah, early on it was. Uh, I, I could tell you one of the biggest issues we had is the the payers kept rolling out emergency rules on how they would treat different situations, and um, they, they were trying to help. But oftentimes, because certain parts of their organizations didn't know their own rules, it started creating situations where we're like, we were told this by this department, use this telemedicine, for, you know, uh, modifier on this claim, and it'll process the same as a, as this claim, and it did not, right? And uh. then. You know, we, we had to play back recordings of conversations to other people in their organization and say, this person said this in your own department, you, you know, this is your rule. And we actually then started asking them to email us the rules. And then we started emailing those rules back to them in different departments to kind of be like, look, this is the rule right now. And then, and then they would change it and they would let us know. Um, but since I'd say, you know, June, it, it's been really smooth sailing. Um, 
One of the things that happened is we feel like a lot of the rules that they passed for emergency situations are now the rule. They're going to continue going forward um, because I think they saw, um, you know, it's time to like a lot of businesses with what's going on. It's it's time to change. Sure. Uh, and I think COVID-19, there was certain things happening already in this sector and many other sectors. And this it just sped up the progress that was eventually going to happen anyway. Um, but yeah, it was a tough adjustment early on, um, but definitely now it, it has become a situation where it's the norm and, and we expect it to continue to be the norm. Yeah, I was going to say specifically uh, related to your jurisdiction, where do you see things going in 2021? Um, you know, hopefully maybe by the middle of the year, we could be mostly post pandemic. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully it's not just wishful thinking. I know the yeah. vaccine's starting to get rolled out and whatnot, but um, you know, in your world, uh, where do you see things going here over the next six to 12 months? Sure. I mean, um, definitely I, I, I'm with you there. I hope by mid year, um, that things are somewhat back to normal, um, and providers can, even though they've retrofitted, um, they've actually, some of them had had to actually expand their footprints and got emergency licensing. So they're actually going to be able to accommodate more patients when this is over, um, which is you know, a, a long-term benefit because they, they were going to have to do that anyway as they, they expanded. Um, and I think one of the things, like I just mentioned, payer rules will not get rolled back, or at least I hope they won't get rolled back because a lot of the changes they made have been beneficial to the patient population in that um, follow-up after um, completing inpatient stays has just, because you're able to bill for it more easily nowadays, um, and, and it's just helped with the success rates, being able to keep in touch with those those people and being able to provide those services. So I hope those don't get rolled back. On a broader perspective, a trend that's just been happening over time, um, and I, I see it continuing to happen may, well past 2021, um, is that providers are understanding more and more, and I, I hammer it into them, contracts, um, not just in-network contracts, but in-network contracts are important. Um, the the provider space, as I mentioned earlier, was fra- was quite fragmented when I entered the sector back then. It's still quite fragmented. There's still not a, a bunch of large market leaders in this space compared to the rest of healthcare. Um, and so we're seeing some geographic roll-ups, private equities getting involved. I've, I've noticed quite a bit of that. I, I get reached out to once a week at this point from a private equity group asking questions about this space. Um, so they're definitely getting involved. I think they have a lot of dry powder and they're looking to get into this space. It's obviously a hot sector. Um, they, so I, I see some geographic roll-ups going to be happening and, and maybe some, some market leaders starting to come out bigger than, I mean, there are some market leaders currently, but some we may never even have heard of before, uh, right? That, that are gonna come. And then contracts. I think people are starting to understand you need to get a little more sophisticated regarding these. And, and again, not just in network, there's third-party administrative contracts, which um, govern a lot of payments for PPO policies. Um, for, for me, I, I'm trying to educate my clients all, all the time on ERISA, right? Because so many of these are employer-based policies, um, you know, we re- are, are renegotiable. They have things like patient advocates. We do all that for our, our clients, but we, we want to let them know prior to admission, these are the policies that are um, the ones that fall into these categories. And they're becoming more interested because they understand what an important aspect that is to their bottom line. And also it reduces the patient's portion of, of the treatment by, by, by increasing 
um, your portion from the payers or even going into in-network contract, you're able to reduce the patient's portion, which then, um, you know, will let you attract more patients. And as you can imagine, both, especially substance use disorder and behavioral health um, facilities in general have very high default rates on their patient portions compared to the rest of healthcare. And that's simply due to the the disease they're treating. Oftentimes the the treatment that they are seeking um, has also made them financially financial hardships. Uh, and, And so they're often, the default rates are quite high in the sector. Um, so knowing, being able to kind of accommodate that via using contracts and renegotiations is, is very important. And, and we, I, I see that happening more as providers get more sophisticated. Good stuff. Yeah. Ali Beheshti, founder and CEO of Zeely. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Uh, have a nice day. And, and to, you know, all the frontline guys out there. Um, thank you so much for the work you're doing. I know, you know, every day they're out there working and during this pandemic, it's, they're putting themselves at risk to help other people. So I just want to thank everyone for that as well. Well said, well said. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this episode. A reminder, you could subscribe to the BHE podcast on Apple podcasts. We're also on SoundCloud and uh, don't be afraid to leave us a review while you're there. Our thanks once again to Ali Baheshti of Zeely. I'm Tom Valentino, and this has been the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. Mm-hmm.